Senator Horino, who I said the president spoke to uh, just last night, he thanked the president uh, for the immediate support of federal agencies have delivered for residents of Hawaii, um, and so does has uh, so has uh, Senator Shorts Schwartz. The 2024 Republican presidential primary field is taking shape. The battle lines are becoming clearer, and so is the field of candidates. Is the odds-on favorites, if you look at the polling, still Trump versus Biden? That seems to be it, but it's just way too early to tell. I'm more angry now, and I'm more committed now than I ever was. Big challenge for these candidates is going to be how do they navigate Donald Trump? And, and how do they navigate Ron DeSantis? You and I have a rendezvous with death. Welcome back to a big week from the Ruthless Variety program. Fellas, we got back from Iowa. I'm feeling just terrific about this. Yeah, I mean, you? the State Fair was incredible. Um, the show, as the folks who were there can attest, was amazing. <laughs> I mean, the energy at that show was out, yeah, it was out of control. It was fantastic. Um, yeah, we all had a blast. Yeah, I'm, I'm feeling, I'm feeling pretty good. Um, I'm feeling a lot better than Senator Schartz, <laughs> <laughs> whoever that is. So that was the distinguished Karine Jean Pierre. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, White House spokesperson. A press secretary who evidently, uh, despite her, should we say, lack of qualifications on almost anything of substance, uh, also does not know the names of at least two prominent United States senators it's in the Democratic wild. caucus. And also didn't know that Maisie Hirono, <laughs> also mispronounced that name, is a woman. <laughs> it's it's just wild. I mean, you would think that you'd look it up. With everything going on in Hawaii, you would at least like brush up on what's happening in the state. You guys probably also saw Joe Biden was asked when he was on his beach vacation in Delaware, what yeah. does he think about this horrible situation in Maui? And he's like, no comment. Yeah, that's a, no that's comment. I'm on the beach. Care. They they don't care about people. That's I mean, it's evident at this point. All the things that they've been saying about, oh, you know, vote for empathy on election day. Like the guy was checking his watch. Mm -hmm. You know, when when you have uh, uh, U.S. service people who got killed on his watch being brought back to the U.S. He has no time for it. He has no, no patience for it, no interest This in beach isn't on fire, Jack. I'll just call up <laughs> Senator Sh uh, Schultz. Schartz. Uh, Schartz? Schartz. Schartz's pants. Yeah. yeah. Essentially. Schartz's pants. <laughs> I, I couldn't, I like, literally... I've fallen out of trying to just be like, this is crazy, because almost everything is crazy. Mm -hmm. But like the idea that you have a press White House press secretary who doesn't know the names of senators in their own party at all. Mm -hmm. Evidently. I mean, like judging by that, it doesn't seem like she's ever heard their names. Before. I mean, there's only 50 and, and 30, <laughs> 30 of them have been there for 20 years. You know, I mean, like, how do you not know? <laughs> like I get for those of you at home are like, I don't know their names either. Well, you don't need to because it's not your job. Yeah, it's hers. Uh, 100%. <laughs> she's the one with the job. Like you have to know that. Right. Oh, my God. So Senator Schertz is very upset, I'm sure. <laughs> well, so is the president, who doesn't even want to comment on it. You know, one of the things we talked about a couple weeks ago is the fact that Hawaii did not even become a state until Joe Biden was almost done with high school. <laughs> so it's quite possible he's forgotten it's part wow. of the union. That is a talking point right there, <laughs> as they say. Wow. Uh, so we have a couple of things to recap over Iowa before we get into the news of the day. But uh, also, I wanted to highlight this. Do you look at this sharp-looking cap that we've got here in inventory? Absolutely beautiful. Yeah. So it's a golf hat, obviously, with the roof, ruthless uh, deal on the side. Yeah. 
And I'm told, like, we just got a limited number of these sent to us by a supplier, but they are, like, selling like hotcakes. Mm. Yeah. So if you haven't seen them, you got to get up on the website and check those things out because they will be gone probably by the end of this episode. Yeah, I, I road tested one in Iowa, and I can assure you it, oh. uh, the, the fit is delightful. Is it? It really... It really uh, just sort of snugs the head, and oh, I and I got a big noggin, you know, so I appreciate a hat that fits right. And, and again, for the for the folks on YouTube, you can see how great a hat it is. Mm. So for the folks who have not yet, I would highly recommend subscribing on YouTube so you can see this. And like Holmes said, we had a limited number. Honestly, like uh, Drew mentioned, there's like twelve. I left. think. I, so, yeah. yeah. Right. Whoever, if if they're still there, I would snag because they're essentially gone. <laughs> So let me start with the Iowa recap by saying, for those of you who have been to a Ruthless Live event, you've experienced a little bit what we're talking about. High energy, good people, tons of enthusiasm, you know, a lot of good chemistry and, and everybody sort of feels like family. This event that we did in Iowa felt to me like it just sort of took that and tripled it. Yeah. Um, obviously, we had great guests with Governor DeSantis and Governor Reynolds. We had Nikki Haley there. We had Senator Joni Ernst there. We had uh, Jeff Kaufman, who was a GOP chair. But like we we sold all these tickets before any of the, we announced that those people were coming. Mm -hmm. So it was a nice chance, I thought, to take inventory on where things are for a ruthless audience in the state of Iowa. So, and that's a very important point that you brought up is that you know everyone who had a ticket to that show, we sold every one of those tickets before we even announced our lineup. So they were there to see, you know, the Ruthless show. So it's not like, you know, they astroturfed supporters. So if, you know, if you announce that, okay, we're going to have a rally with, like, Governor Santis and Haley, then, you know, for sure they're going to send it out yeah. to their folks and try to pack the house. So we got, I think, a really good gauge of how the folks of, in Iowa feel as of this moment. Yeah, yeah we totally. had a lot of good local folks. We, all, we also had some folks travel in from as far as California. Yeah, yeah. I know. You know, making a little vacation out of it, going to the fair, too, which I also noticed at the fair writ large. There's, there are folks from all over the place coming yeah. in because, you know, as I was saying in the airport, the Iowa State Fair is like the Catalina wine mixer <laughs> of, you know, political events. Uh, and so people were there from all over the place. It well, did feel like there was sort of like a like a like a fair like setting for republicans almost yeah, so yeah. it's like really incredible atmosphere it, it was a real destination and like michael said we had people from california but we also had people that weren't too far from iowa some from minnesota there was a guy from missouri named justin who i know you guys met before yep. big dude. fan of the show unfortunately i think it was his, his brother maybe his brother-in-law couldn't make it because he had he had to work at the last minute but justin brought me uh, some flies, like fish flies. From, no fish kidding. Flies. No, oh, that's, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah, he brought me, he brought me uh, like a set of three flies that he tied himself. Huh, and one well, of them awesome. looked like it's just going to slam small bass. So I cannot wait to get out there nice. and try. And Justin, thank you so much. Dude, what a great gift. Yeah, that's so great. Well, one of the things that we got in addition to the live show that we did was a bunch of content on the fairgrounds. And we talked to a bunch of candidates who were in the midst of making their pitch to voters and walking around and eating food and having a good time. Uh, one of whom was former Vice President Mike Pence that we sat down sort of in the middle of the fairgrounds, which I love the setting and the backdrop. For yeah. those of you on YouTube, you'll be able to see it. But we're including the interview in this program because we think it's relevant and, and timely. I mean, it was the, the setting was something else. It was a great idea. They put uh, 
to have everyone just right there in the middle of it because I think a lot of folks don't understand the size and scope of this fair. Mm -hmm. It is massive. It's like yeah. a sea of people. There's a lot to see and do. And so when you look behind us, like I, afterwards, you know, I, I hop up and I look behind us, it's like, wow, it's like right down the main drag. Yeah. And just tens of thousands of people having a great time. Yeah. I mean, we were with uh, Vice President Pence. Uh, we got to see Burgum, saw Grassley. Um, incredible stuff great content is it's nice to to be with folks like out there in the elements rather than just in a sort of sterile studio uh, you get a little more personality sometimes out of people and and also it's just nice to to like get out there and mix it up with voters and you start to see that some of the prevailing narratives in the media aren't necessarily true mm -hmm. you know i mean like a lot of the content that you would see out of the fair or or sort of Mike Pence's appearances uh, previously is like, oh, this man shouted down everywhere he goes. Yeah, you that know? was not our experience. That w really wasn't our experience. You, you, There were some events at the fair in which he answered questions about stuff like January 6th. But, dude, by and large, people were super nice to him. Yeah. And, and, like, you know, after he did our interview, like a line of like 50 people lined up to get their picture taken. Yeah, he sat with there them. and signed stuff and, and it's took like, pictures. Yeah, for it's hours. like 92 degrees. Yeah. Out, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so it's just nice because all this, I say that for our listeners to know when you're reading all these headlines that they have been filtered by the mainstream media and to wanting you to believe a prevailing narrative that they've already sort of started to churn. It's always good to get out there and do your own homework. Yeah, totally. And I think Ashbrook, to bring you in on this, it felt to me to the to the point Michael was making is th there was an awful lot that came out of Iowa in terms of mainstream reporting that looked like it was written on the plane there, mm -hmm. and they went right. and found a whole bunch of quotes that sort of validated yeah. that position. And we kind of had a different take on it. I think may maybe one of those things is that there was a lot of kind of news making uh, comments that were made at the Ruthless Live show. And evidently there were reporters and it was live streamed to everyone. Mm -hmm. So anybody could see it didn't quite fit the narrative. And so there wasn't a bunch of pickup on some of that stuff. Yeah, no, I think your your point is is well made. And it's one of the reasons we do the show is because we want each of these uh, guests that we're interviewing, each of these people that we talk to to have their voice heard through our airwaves to our audience rather than getting our spin on it that we, our own personal political motivations or whatever are driving us to try to trick people into believing and i think that's one of the one of the real shortcomings in the mainstream media and you know we we talked to a handful of reporters who were there and 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 there are definitely some some folks who were there on the ground who were doing their best to get the real story they were also noticing the the point that Michael made about uh, Mike Pence and how warmly he was being received by folks on the ground. There were others who were noticing that there really is more of a groundswell for a non-Trump candidate than has been widely reported. Yeah, can, I but, mean, can, can I tell you what my takeaway was after the whole thing and talking to a bunch of normal people in addition to our crowd and everybody else? My takeaway was, look, Trump is strong mm -hmm. and he's going to be strong. Mm -hmm. There was a large number, by far the majority, of voters that we spoke to who were still shopping around. Mm. There were, I thought DeSantis was more warmly received based on my experience than I expected, mm -hmm. than I anticipated. I felt like their organization was more organized, for lack of a better term, 
than I expected mm -hmm. based on what you hear in reports. And I was also sort of surprised that like there wasn't anybody there was like right in the epitaph. People were like, they're waiting to see people and they're waiting to hear from them. Mm -hmm. And I guess, you know, I mean, we hear that from Iowa people all the time that they're like, no, 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 no. We, like we don't make decisions till we're ready to make decisions on this stuff and we expect everybody to run a big retail campaign. But you hear from the mainstream media and you see the polls and everything else, it would lead you to believe that this is sort of a static deal. Yeah. That it is what it is. Well, and when you consume media in 30-second clips that are posted on Twitter, like, those are manufactured moments for distribution on social media, right? So, right. like, you know, when, when if Trump's flying a banner over, over, over the state fair, for example, or, um, you know, some organized, uh, like, abortion activists are trying to heckle Like the purple-haired purple right? Lady, yeah. Right. Like, so you see, if your filter of your media consumption is, like, those clips that are on Twitter, you have a very different idea of what your average Iowan, like, cares about or is thinking about or how they respond to these candidates. Dude, the people of Iowa are some of the nicest people they really are. you will ever meet. Yep. And I mean, they sort of like are your quintessential Midwest nice. And everyone was really respectful, mm -hmm. I felt like, to all the candidates, yep. even some of the lesser candidates who were just sort of there to mix it up and boost their name ID. You know yep. what I mean? And so, I mean, it's just I I feel like the media is really doing a bad job of, of capturing all of that. You know, at least as it <clears throat> pertains to Iowa. Yeah. But, you know, who's not doing a bad job is, you know, Governor Reynolds, who is the absolute what queen of the state. I have right here my fair side chats uh mug oh nice uh, a nice gift that she she left with us uh had a, just a great event she was hosting all the candidates and everything i mean on her game like i've never seen anybody she walks before. on water in iowa yeah for good reason i mean she's out there every single day meeting with folks listening to people showing candidates around telling them what's important about her state people appreciate that She's not, uh, you know, she doesn't make any sort of like boasting attempts to tell people like what it is that they should do, but she shows people sort of what they need to know mm -hmm. by bringing these candidates around. And I think, I mean, well, that was the one constant. Don't you yeah. Think? Yeah. The one constant is like, well, we love Kim Reynolds. So uh, that, that it was important for me to know for everyone that she probably got the loudest reaction from mm -hmm. the crowd. Yeah. Is, I mean, and that shocked me because it's like, yes, governors do incredible work, right? But, you know, your average everyday person is not like, hell yes, my governor rules. But they are like that in Iowa. Like, they are. They So part of the reason is uh, what got done in the previous term, what she got, you know, accomplished across the finish line, whether it's school choice, tax cut, protecting kids, like you name it, everything on the conservative wish list, tort reform, like all of it's getting, she knocked it all out. Mm -hmm. and, and, and so like- you, she deserves to be able to spike that football. Yeah. So yeah. she got, you know, that reaction from the crowd. And I, I was like, you know, I call you conservative Santa Claus. Can you just run through for our listeners what all you have accomplished in the previous term? Because it, it is very impressive. Um, and I think that's why she gets, you know, the kind of reaction from the crowd that she does. Um, along the lines of what you folks were saying earlier of how it seems like there's still a lot of folks in Iowa who are shopping for their candidate. I, I came up with the exact same takeaway. And it really made me think that, you know, the conventional wisdom, and I'm sure what uh, President Trump is hearing from his team is, you're up big, mm -hmm. don't rock the boat, just go with it. But I think this current, you know, situation, it feels like it's so malleable that if someone shows up, if Trump doesn't go, 
someone shows up and has just a huge night and crushes it, that could be a problem. As yeah. opposed to if Trump showed up and crushed it, it would essentially, in my mind, freeze the field. And then folks would be like, well, I guess it is over. Yeah. Yeah, because the Trump love is still there. One, one uh, episode I know you guys will remember happened right at the very end of our trip. We were sitting in the airport waiting for our plane. And we were in this airport bar that had just like a view, full view of the tarmac. And Trump's plane touches down. Everybody in the entire restaurant stops what they were doing. Even the waitress mm -hmm. walked over to the window and took a picture of Trump's plane. This is somebody who works at an airport and sees airplanes every single day. So you know in that sort of organic moment that Trump is still a cultural phenomenon that is not going away. Yeah, I mean, you know that, there's a lot of power. That, in that is his real advantage of this. I mean, look, the guy's been president of the United States. You know, when his plane lands, it gets a reaction. And, and the so, plane is cool as hell. Yeah, it's cool I mean, as hell. it is the coolest it looks thing. So he's got, he's got an advantage over the field there. What what remains to be seen is, is someone going to outwork him in Iowa? Mm -hmm. Because this is a caucus. It's not just a primary. You know, so you got high information voters who got to do a lot to show up. Can you outwork a guy who's got the spectacle around him, you know? Yeah. And yeah. and also, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up, I don't know when we'll get the content up that we got with Governor Burgum. Um, when you folks see it, you will appreciate, you know, my takeaway so of how, like, this is the coolest dude. Like, <laughs> actual frontiersman yeah. who's also a governor. Yeah. At one point, I, I said, hey, man, if this, like, run for president thing doesn't work out, you want to just, like come on the podcast yeah. just hang out <laughs> be be our fifth guest or yeah. fifth i mean like folks will see that like his his resume also extremely impressive as governor he's he's knocked out like the things he has done i remember uh this weekend someone tweeted like oh he he graduated from stanford even though like you first point out yeah this guy's a self-made guy he, he was a chimney sweep when he got into stanford <laughs> mm -hmm. right. i was like oh he went to stanford i bet he like forces everyone to like use correct pronouns and whatever <laughs> and the then case. i reply he has actually passed in 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 north dakota schools are not to tell people to use the correct pronouns <laughs> like specifically <laughs> that he's gotten that done for so, the he, for the rattlesnake story and i'm not going to ruin the rest of the content mm -hmm. but you gotta watch that on youtube once we get it all posted for the rattlesnake snake story itself the guy's he's got, he's got a story for everything the dude's lived an incredible life yeah totally and we also have some great grassley content some of which yeah. we posted live uh with the immediate reaction to the hunter biden stuff which we will get into later in the program but i mean it is it, the guy is just a legend yeah it, it was fun to see him at the fair he even had his assumed dear dead hat which is amazing right. so uh, good so good all right so a little of the news we'll start with the fire since that's what we opened the program with uh maui is just completely devastated by mm -hmm. wildfires and joe biden couldn't bring himself off the beach to even so much as talk about it he's now according to the daily mail considering making a trip to hawaii uh, considering we're looking at it yeah i'm thinking about it bro. We're, we're looking at I it i can't just remember remember how they treated george bush on katrina yeah the media if if joe biden were a republican the media would have a completely different take on this whole situation also dude i mean not for nothing but are we really in an era where presidents take the month of august off i i mean like i i mean it's like we're europeans now but like I remember when when George Bush went went to Crawford, Texas, where he had like his full office and all of this stuff, mm -hmm. the setup, it, it, he would take shit every single day, and then Obama would do a month where he kind of bounce around. He would do like a Hawaii thing, and then he would go to Nantucket or Martha's Vineyard or whatever, and like that was it, it, kind of tough. And Trump, 
you always know that he would go to like Bedminster where he has basically a office away from an office. And then you see Biden <laughs> who's basically like either bike riding precariously yeah. or he's on the beach. Like a lot of the time, a ton of the time. Every day there's a picture of him hanging out on the beach and it's like, dude. Yeah. I mean, come on. Yeah. And, That's and, just a bad look. And when a reporter straight up asks him about it, and he's like, no comment. Who cares? I got to get back to the beach. It's amazing. It's amazing. That, like, you have the images, folks, if you haven't seen them yet, it is insane. It is like, you, you'd think this is a, a war-torn site that's been bombed. It's that devastated. Yeah, I mean, more than 2,000 properties have been completely destroyed, and the damage is already an estimated $6 billion. Good dollars. <clears throat> yeah. That is... I mean, wow. The reports I saw today said that the, the casualty list is not finalized yet, that there are more people who are being reported Awful. reported dead. It just is a, it's truly a tragedy. And, um, you know, it's it, you, I don't know if you guys have seen these videos of people in the water. Yeah, get, like trying to escape the fire by just, getting it, in the ocean. It's just awful. And they're trying to shield their faces from the smoke and... You know, I, I don't know what caused this. There's there's a lot of speculation in, in news reports. Of course, I'm really hesitant to believe a cause as reported by the mainstream press. But uh, whatever did cause this, it, it sure created a hell of a lot of heartache for an awful lot of people. Mm -hmm. Totally. The kind of thing that you sort of used to rely on your governments to take care of. Exactly. But anyway, not the case there. Uh, but in more economic news, uh, total household debt, a topic that you talk about a lot, Smug, mm -hmm. has hit a record high of $17 trillion. That's according to uh, Unusual Whales on Twitter. Yeah, th they're citing a lot of uh, credit and Fed data that's out there. Uh, you can, uh, Folks, you can go to fred.org. Uh, it's, it's actually where you get a ton of economic data the government releases. And I mean, it's it's a catastrophic situation of what's going on right now. Um, what I am also looking at beyond just uh, credit card debt is autos, auto don't, uh, auto loans, uh, and the debt that's been built up in that area. And we're now hitting the highest percentage of delinquencies Ooh. on car payments. Uh, since 2008, which you know that for folks who remember, <laughs> it seems like a that trigger. was a tough time. So. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the, this whole lie that the administration is pushing about like, okay, Bidenomics, you know, things are great. We've got a recovery underway. You know, we beat inflation like that's in the past or something. And meanwhile, uh, you're seeing the American families are really hurting in very dire situation, um, barely keeping their heads above water. And this administration is just telling them, oh, yeah. You, you want know, my conspiracy on this? Yeah, absolutely. My conspiracy on this is that this administration post- November 22, when they knew they were going to deal with that Republican House of Representatives, based their entire strategy on blaming a House Republican majority for not passing a debt ceiling. And they had set their entire political calendar and their entire, entire policy calendar in terms of what they're communicating to that point. And so as soon as that did not happen and they didn't have somebody to blame, they just like turned around and was like, well, we're all everything's good. Yeah. And, like, they didn't lead us anyone to the point where you're like, well, what changed? Exactly. They just all of a sudden came out with Bidenomics and, like, oh, Bidenomics. Well, everything's great, Bidenomics. But then you look at the stats and, like, nothing supports the idea that everything's great. Everything looks to me like, if anything else, 
we're on the precipice of a real problem here and and inflation has not gone away and the idea that a recession has not gone away we're still potentially raising in interest rates uh, there's been nothing that's balanced the economy back out but yet the prevailing wisdom amongst the mainstream media and the democratic class is that like well the economy is in good shape yeah, when Democrats talk about inflation, when the press writes about it, they often write about it in these esoteric terms about what CPI is doing and what the what these like core inflation numbers are doing. They don't really write about it in the terms that people experience, like how much is milk cost, how much how much are these chips, how much is it's this sandwich stuff that I got or household buy. debt, evidently, exactly or household debt, right? But but so the reason I I say that it may not be a conspiracy. I mean, this seems like it it fits the mold. But the reason I bring that up is because they've got one more shot at trying to put their economic disaster on opposition party politics and it comes in September. And mark my words, there's going to be a real showdown when it comes to a government shutdown or not a government shutdown. There's huge discrepancies between, between where Republicans and Democrats are, even some discrepancies amongst the parties themselves when it deals with things like national defense. But I think if you get to a point where there's a shutdown, watch how quickly they turn on the meter again when it comes to, well, the reason that your economic situation is terrible mm -hmm. is because of these obstructionist Republicans in Congress. Never mind the fact that it has absolutely nothing to do with any of that. They're, like, they're or, just or keeping the, your government mm -hmm. open. Or the fact that the U.S. had its credit rating cut under Biden before any of this even has happened. Exactly. So, like, it's a very dire situation for the country. Um, you know, this is another uh, uh, bit of economic data that was released by Moody's Analytics that says the typical American household spent 709 more dollars in July than they did two years ago to buy the same goods and services. We're talking about two years. Jeez, I mean, that's a lot. That's years. a big number. It's a really big number if you think about monthly. Mm -hmm. Good God. So, like, uh, you know, for, for listeners, who there, you know, among our listeners has had your salary go up over the past two years by $700 a month? That's wild. I mean, wages are stagnant. Mm -hmm. Inflation is not. Just a wild deal. Um, all right, you guys want to talk some Disney adults? Yes. <laughs> Always. <laughs> so HuffPo has this thing where I think they're ostensibly defending Disney adults, which- Of course they are. As you know, we've got a, we've drawn a hard line here. Jose, uh, Josie Maeda embraces the term Disney adult, is according to HuffPo. Uh, I've had way worse things said about me. The 28-year-old Orlando-based content create content creator. Well, I, I don't doubt it. If you're a Disney adult, you, there's probably a lot of bad things to say about you. I you am know. quote. I am very very liberal. It's a known thing. <laughs> oh my. I share decently liberal <laughs> posts quite a bit on my Instagram story. She what, said. What's a decently liberal? post i would I love to like, know what i that think is. that's socialist not communist yeah okay. i'm like i'm a centrist i'm not full communist yet <laughs> yeah adding that she and other creators in her network for very obvious reasons tend to dislike florida's republican governor ron DeSantis. there have been a lot of cases in the disney community where people have found out that someone was super trumpy and have totally put them on blast on twitter Instagram. <laughs> oh no <laughs> oh no i mean i mean like think about that situation where where they're like Okay, well, you absolutely cannot be a conservative whatsoever. <laughs> we will target you. And the people doing the targeting are Disney adults. I'd be like, who are you trying to target, dude? You're a Disney adult. Maeda lives a mile from Walt Disney World, Cinderella Castle. Not quite <laughs> close enough to see it from her house, but close enough that she gets uh, to visit the Disney cluster of Central Florida theme parks at least once a week. Oh, once my God. Uh, here's, here's, 
HuffPo may have its faults, but good color is not one of them. <laughs> a mile from the castle. <laughs> I mean, that that's that's very specific. The culture wars are especially fraught for the Disney adults, whose fandom thrives on the notion of escapism and fantasy. Hey, well, that's one way to put it, right? This is what the fans call Disney bubble. The idea that reality stops at the park gates or by scrolling deep enough into a Reddit thread. No, none. I, I, I love this this part of the story because I think it really gets to the nexus of at least, I don't know if I speak for the group, but my, my problem with the Disney adult as a personality type is these are people with Peter Pan syndrome, like who refuse to grow up. And the cultural rot we're experiencing in this country is related to this sort of behavior. I, people I like who, who, who choose to not be adults and be responsible for themselves. They want to escape. Of course they want to escape, you know? <laughs> Because they're not responsible people. They want to be little fucking children and want the government to take care of them. No wonder you're liberal. Dude, that's amazing. That is dead on. Just and like, I think it is 100% that. Is if you look at all the problems that society has of people not wanting to, to accept responsibility and take charge. Instead, you know, the left has essentially pushed an agenda of where like, well, you're all victims. Is the yeah, problem. just be a child all day. Yeah. You know, you so, don't have to grow up. You know, wear a Disney hat and, and go there once a week. And then blame, you know, oh, it's capitalism. That's the reason that, like, you know, I'm I'm having problems. Not that I go to Disney once a week. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you go. The whole, that's the whole reason you go to Disney. This person said is to escape that kind of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> that was one of the nice things. You could go there and enjoy the fantasy, said one fi- friend who had just gotten back from an eight day Disney cruise. Yeah, the fantasy that your life isn't sad. Also. <laughs> This, that's <laughs> that's what it is. That you're right. That's what it is. But like the idea that it isn't made for kids, it, like what this isn't for you. It's right. Not for you. This is not for you. Yeah. So, but she thinks it's for her because she's a content creator and she lives in Orlando. <laughs> All this is is a way of protecting her own ego, her fragile ego, you know, from realizing her life's pathetic. So I, you know, tangentially, this is something I've been thinking about lately, and this is probably going to make a lot of people mad. Oh but boy. I think not only is the Disney adult a problem, the Disney parents a problem. Oh, oh God, Wait here we go. And this is, this is why. We're experiencing so, neocon mission creep. This is why. So, so you, <laughs> <laughs> Let's hear it. You got to fight him over there. So everyone, <laughs> especially conservatives, point out how terrible Disney movies have become where it's like, Oh, Snow White. Now you saw these interviews. This this actress is oh, playing Snow White. Saw this, yeah. Where she was like, "Well, actually, we're fixing this story. Uh, I don't think we might even have a prince in there. You know, I don't need a prince." Yeah. And it's like, okay. So I'm first off, I'm listening to a Latino lady playing Snow White in a film that they released. They they can't have dwarfs, and it's not going to have the title. You know, the word dwarfs in it. They're just saying seven like magical force people, and they released a photo. It just looks like a homeless camp, you know, like a, a grab bag of homeless people following her around because they can't use a dwarf because I guess that's an evil thing now. So like everyone points out, like yes, this is this is crazy. What do you call like like seven small people? That, is that the preferred little people? Preferred little people. Little maybe? people like yeah. Snow White and the Seven Little People. And then you but had, they're not real, and they're not how, little. Like, apparently, how, the thing I don't understand is like the idea that you have to pretend like they're real, <laughs> and then be offended on their behalf. Think about that. You know, it's it's all made up. It's Think a cartoon this, for the crying cartoon, out loud. A timeless cartoon made in the 1930s. Or from that, is somehow like offensive because it's not. You can't have that in Orlando. And then even for that, it was, Today. It was, it was like a German fairy tale 
from like 300 years ago <laughs> where the description right. is like she's called Snow White because she's Snow White to, <laughs> to start off with. And then you uh, 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 folks also point out, okay, in The Little Mermaid now, the mermaid is black. The de- her father is Latino. Like how? None of this actually makes sense. And all these movies are pushing is this culture that the left wants to get to children, like as soon as possible. But here's the thing: everyone's like, "Oh, no one's gonna see that Snow White movie. It's gonna bomb." Listen, all these live action garbage films, remakes of Disney movies, make money. And do you know why? Because so many parents are like, "I would rather." have 90 minutes to two hours where the kid isn't talking to me and I'm willing to pay to see a Disney movie for that to happen. They're like, I want to take my kid to this theater. I don't care what's playing. You know, they want to see the Disney movie. That's fine. For 90 minutes, they stare at a screen. I stare at my phone. And it's like, that's actually kind of the problem is your kid's been addicted to staring at a screen. You know, as soon as he's in the crib, you toss him an iPad so you don't have to, you know, actually do your job as a parent. Now they want to stare at screens all day. Surprise, surprise. And the parents want to do the same. You know, it's like I see a stroller where, like, the, the, the mom is scrolling through her phone, pushing the stroller, and the baby's got an iPad in there. The baby. What the hell's an iPad doing in there? I mean, the thing is, for me, like, I could care less about the ethnicity of the participants in the show, provided you keep it to the same sort of story that we talked to. The idea, this woman, I don't know, if, if for you have, that have not seen the interview this woman gave. It was, it was I, unreal. It's I, truly stunning. She, she talks like, oh, we all agree on this, that like, yeah. you know, the story is about a, a prince who's stalking right. a yeah. princess and, and you know, we don't do that in this kind of day, so we'll probably do away yeah. with the, the prince. And it's like. <sighs> no, Snow White's a girl boss now. <laughs> And, and, and that's exactly. You can't it. just make a new movie. But the slipper's going to be. Right. Like, but I think that's critical. This, is this, there's a very specific reason why they're going and trying to take these stories and then put the left wing spin on it? Because number one, they know no one would see their stupid ass movie if they came up with their own idea and it was like, hey, this is about you know uh, a left wing princess and her adventures and saying that she doesn't yeah, need a prince. That's right. No one's going to see that. Right. So number they got one, they got a piggyback on an existing bingo. You know, IP. And then number two, Good destruction point. is like their MO. Mm-hmm. They want to culturally destroy everything. Yeah, but they are capable of telling stories that you didn't get a hundred years ago that are original stories. Like think about like Moana. Moana's like a great Disney movie and it's got a great message for young girls like they're capable of it Disney can make great stuff like that but they just choose not to and I think what you really hit on there is the key component there piggybacking they want to piggyback on the existing IP that everybody knows and loves to push a left wing agenda on all this stuff I think that really is it it's just a bizarre set of circumstances Super bizarre. right because like can you imagine getting the pitch hmm. in like a normal world where you're like hey alright Cinderella no dwarfs uh, the prince, uh, we can't have that. Yeah. Uh, the glass slipper, like what are those going to be? Flip flops? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, 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 legitimately. What, what are they going to? Are they on Lady and the Tramp? Are they going to have two people who identify as dogs? <laughs> oh my god! I don't even want to know what they're going to do to that. Oh jeez! <laughs> like the you're guy gonna end in up Japan. like that dude, the that soldier who was wearing the leather dog head. Like you're going to end up with that in that film. Or the dude, the dude who like converted himself to the. To oh the, yeah, yeah. Fourteen thousand dollars. Oh Lassie. Yeah. Now he's a collie. Yeah. Now he's a collie. And he gets walked around Central Park. But like I'll tell you, I, I he guarantee he deserves a Disney movie. I, I guarantee Snow White is still going to make its money, and it's because of the Disney parent. It's like you know they're willing to just have the kids shut up. 
They'll see the movie. They don't care that they're funding essentially left-wing terrorism. <laughs> That's trying to destroy their child's mind and their future. They're like, as long as the kid shuts up so I can scroll through TikTok. Oh, man. <laughs> what a... <laughs> just a... I hope we're going to clip that take and yeah. put it on the Twitter. Yeah, it's good I, stuff. I can't, I can't wait till you're a parent either. That's going to be so good. Um, all right, so we got to get into the Hunter Biden thing. Uh, so interestingly, while we were in Iowa and we were laying down some content with Chuck Grassley, we were uh, awoke with the broken news mm-hmm. of Merrick Garland appointing a special counsel in the investigation of Hunter Biden and, by extension, Joe Biden and the Bidens. Which is something that Republicans had called for a long time ago, far before it was known that the prosecutor on the case was this guy Weiss, who had since entered a plea agreement that a judge rejected because it was just so patently ridiculous. It was exempting Hunter Biden from crimes that may or may not have yet committed. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, it's just completely absurd. Yeah, I would love to get a speeding ticket and then get amnesty for (laughs) all speeding money laundering and everything else (laughs) I want to do. Right, right. So uh, what happened, the news of this, according to Politico, Attorney General Merrick Garland granted special counsel status to David Weiss. The federal prosecutor has been investigating Hunter Biden for five years. The move announced Friday gives Weiss broader leeway to investigate and bring charges. Let me stop there. Yep, please do. We were told reliably by the attorney general himself that there was no box that Weiss was in Mm -hmm. because it was asked. The question was asked and the IRS whistleblowers testified before the House Oversight Committee that they were not allowed to to pursue certain things that had become evident to them. Mm -hmm. Different pieces of tax evasion, yada, yada, yada. Merrick Garland assured all of us that that was, in fact, not the case and that Weiss could have brought charges on anything. And the reason that that's sort of like specific and particular to know is because the jurisdiction of the people involved, he's a U.S. attorney that deals with Delaware, and there was a lot of question about whether some of these things were in a D.C. district, and there were questions about whether or not he could cross jurisdictions to bring charges. Merrick Garland told us he could have done whatever he wanted. Now they're saying, good news, he can do whatever he wants. Turns out that was a lie. So, I mean, but there's no way, I I haven't seen anybody talk about that particular Mm -hmm. piece of it. I mean, a lot of people have talked about how Republicans seem to have a problem with Weiss for obvious reasons. You know, Democrats are hemming and hawing about an opening investigation. But nobody's talked about the fact that Merrick Garland has already said that Weiss could do what he is now authorizing him to do. Well, And, and, you know, Jamie Comer was against the appointment of a special uh, counsel in this case because I think of fears it might end up obstructing some of the oversight in the House. And I mean, they've done such incredible work with these whistleblowers and everything like that. I think it's a well-founded concern uh, that this guy Weiss, who, again, um, you know, said he had his hands tied on on looking at things outside the jurisdiction of Delaware, might not be the guy up for the job. But back to your original point there, Holmes, which I think is a really great one that's kind of slipped under the radar here. If... Merrick Garland, you know, months ago could say confidently that David Weiss could already do all of the things of a special counsel, then why is this even necessary? Yep. Right. And if it is necessary, then that means that there were some some constraints put on him to not be able to do his job. 
And if that is the case, then Merrick Garland should lose his job. Right. The acknowledgement that we need a special counsel, if you already said tacitly this man is basically a special counsel, is proof you didn't do your fucking job Right. as the head of the DOJ. One other thing I find very interesting about this whole appointment is the timing. It comes on the heels of the latest revelation based on the bank records mm -hmm. from foreign governments to Hunter Biden Associates to Hunter Biden. What the House Oversight Committee has specifically not subpoenaed yet are the Biden family bank records from Hunter Biden yes. to Joe Biden. Yes. And they are on the precipice of, I mean, I'm not trying to make news here, but if you look at their strategy, it's mm -hmm. build the case, come up with the, find out if there really is, it, is it justified the to ask gets the President of the United and States and his son for their bank records? Yeah. I think based on the evidence they've uncovered so far, the answer to that question is that's absolutely justified. So now that they have the justification to subpoena the bank records between Hunter and the President, which you have pointed out is the point that a lot of liberal journalists make all the time, right. that well, you don't have the smoking gun. I don't see a receipt going from Hunter to his father. Well, they haven't asked for it yet. Right. And now that they're about to ask for it, Joe Biden's administration comes in and potentially blocks their ability to do that. And that's what we saw the day before this announcement, right? We saw every mainstream reporter who wants to run cover for Joe Biden tweeting out no direct payment to Joe Biden. Oh, I guess the case is closed now. And then boom, what happens? The appointment of a special counsel. Right. Mm -hmm. Like immediately after the media gets the narrative out there that there's no connection to Joe Biden. Now we're going to have this, you know, special counsel um, run interference, which, that, which, which could run interference. And then like that's the that's the last thing we might know for a while now. And, mm -hmm. and I think very specifically, because the more cynical I get, the more I'm proven correct with the approach <laughs> that the left has taken. What was it you say? Conspiracy theories are just spoiler alert? Exactly. <laughs> and, and that really has become the case. It's like, if you think about what happened when we were approaching the previous uh, presidential election, mm -hmm. the media in lockstep with Dems says, this laptop is Russian disinformation. Well, I mean, we've come a damn far ways from that at this point, where we have records of money being sent to Hunter Biden, and now we know every single thing on the laptop is actually factual. It wasn't Russian disinformation. Those 51, like, you know, uh, intelligence agency people who signed a letter saying yeah. it was Russian disinformation, they all lied to your faces because, hey, the election's over. So what do we care? That's how they feel about all of this. They're like, oh, shit, we have another election coming up. Uh, let's try to put the brakes on this one. Mm -hmm. uh, and maybe, you know, afterwards... It'll come out. Either way, we got to make sure that voters don't know what the hell is actually going on. Here's what I don't understand. So the Justice Department has to be, or at least somebody in the White House who's like somewhat aware of public opinion, they have to be aware of the fact that half of this country doesn't trust a damn thing that they do. Mm -hmm. They have to be aware of it at some level. And when you make this move... It's in somewhat has to be responsive to the fact that like Weiss and this entire deal that they made with Hunter Biden didn't work and public thought it was all a joke. But now you enter into a point where you are more than likely going to be at odds with House oversight over documents, as you suggested, Ashbrook. And it has to come to some kind of a conclusion. And they are not going to be the ones that are going to be able to go back to the American public and say, well... We looked into it here, folks. Nothing to see. Hunter Biden's <laughs> got a clean bill of health, no, and Joe Biden has been, uh, 
spick and span especially throughout with the, with, this entire process especially with the track record that this david weiss guy who's now special counsel previously had his hands tied and whistleblowers had to go to the house committee to blow the whistle yeah. on the whole thing and now you're going to be the people saying there's nothing to see here so but, but it's it, patently absurd but that's i guess that's my point my yeah. point is is that they if this is going to resolve itself one way or another if it resolves itself in anything other than like groundbreaking revelations of corruption, they're going to have a hell of a problem on their hand because half of this country, based on prior behavior up to this point, is never going to fucking believe a single word they have to say. And, and here's the other part of this is, is what I'm talking about, the cynical nature of the left at this point, where initially the first step was they said it's all lies, right? Then you went to this point of where they're saying, well, there's no connection. And then I don't know if you folks saw over the past weekend, Aaron Rupar saying that like, oh, so it's news that some kid tried making money off of his parents' name. It's like, wow. Yeah, we the really goalpost, got there. The goalposts just move and move and move. They're like, so what if there's some corruption, everyone? <laughs> you know? It's just some corruption. Just a little, <laughs> just a little corruption. Light corruption. You know? Light corruption. When we were first told this is all disinformation to now actually it's good there's corruption. You know, this is sick. It These is, are horrible people. It is. It's completely absurd. It's con totally ridiculous. Um, all right, so let's go to the other side of the coin. Uh, there's been some reporting, once uh, this one in The Hill, about Republican strategists being worried that if former President Trump doesn't secure the GOP's presidential nomination next year, or if he's kept off the ballot that, uh, because of his legal troubles, that it could spell voter turnout disaster for the party in 24. Um, look, here are the facts. The facts are that Trump's been on the ballot twice in the last seven years. Um, and that has both had solid Republican turnout. Um, and there's areas of Republican turnout that have not been able to be replicated at anywhere near the same percentages in the rural markets across the state. We've talked about this a lot on the program in that it's partially Trump because he's definitely helped change the coalition of what a Republican Party solid voter looks like, but also part of the changed coalition that has happened over time that has moved away from your more reliable midterm turnout in suburban America to a rural turnout and exurban turnout that has a lower percentage of turnout. Mm -hmm. And... So the the question, I guess, that these guys are trying to put their finger on is whether it's all a downstream effect of just Trump and Trump alone or whether there is a changed coalition issue. And I know we've all got takes on that. Duncan, you're you're probably the one who's been most outspoken on it. Yeah. I mean, look, I mean, Donald Trump has put together a wholly different coalition uh, we've sacrificed suburban voters. That's making it more difficult for us to win places like Arizona and Georgia, as we saw in 2020. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, like you said, he, he put up numbers in the rurals in a ton of places that other Republicans haven't been able to touch. I, I think the problem is it's it's tough to build a sustainable you know, political project on the turnout of one man, even if he is president. As we saw in Donald Trump's presidency, look what happened in the 2018 midterms. Mm -hmm. How do you build a sustainable coalition to do things like build the wall or move America's supply chain out of China and back to the United States if you're only going to have two years to do it before you lose it all again? Because as we saw in the 2022 midterms, that Trump coalition didn't come out for Trump candidates. Right. 
for Trump candidates. Well, and that's and that's the thing that I think is missing here in your in the analysis overall is Trump himself is a very different entity than Trumpism, which they've tried to extrapolate out to a whole bunch of candidates who have aligned themselves with Trump and America first. It just hasn't worked. It just hasn't worked. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the 18 midterms, if you look at the 22 midterms, none of them were particularly good. Granted, we got the House back. That was a bare minimum from my perspective about where we should have been in 22. But there's a whole bunch of Trump-aligned candidates that underperformed there in large part because they couldn't garner votes from what we talked about with the suburban electric that had been with Republicans for 30 years and somehow abandoned in 2017 and haven't come back. Whether Trump can offset that himself... He's done it. He did it in 2016. He came up short, frankly, in 2020. And I don't know whether it's Trump himself that is driving that or if it's a Republican Party that's a changed coalition that has different turnout models. Yeah, but the, here's, the, here's the problem with, with, the, with the changed party coalition is I look at a place like Pennsylvania in 2022. You know, the working theory of the case is you know, Oz uh, has been on television. Um, he's more moderate than Mastriano, the Republican candidate for governor. And Mastriano is like the Trumpiest Trump candidate in the United States of America. And he's going to drive up turnout in the rurals. And Oz is going to do much better in the Philly suburbs. And, you know, if they can ride each other's coattails a little bit here, maybe that's how we can win Pennsylvania. Well, that theory was entirely wrong. I mean, Doug Mastriano trailed Oz in some of the Trumpiest rural counties in all of Pennsylvania. Yeah. If you look at Tioga or uh, Bedford County, I mean, fuck, uh, Mastriano trailed Oz in Franklin and Adams. You know, Franklin and Adams are where Mastriano represented them in the state Senate. Yeah. He underperformed Oz there. Right. So so this theory that there is a, a, a Trump coalition with Trumpism that will elect Trump-aligned candidates, I think is a theory that's been dis disproved on, on a state, like you could certainly find congressional races where that coalition can can work, but we've had redistricting, yeah. right? That we, we have to live with this map for 10 years. We have these statewide races that we can't win if we don't do better in the suburbs. Doug Mastriano is a perfect example of the, you know how that coalition can fail in a place like a midterm. So, I mean, look, I don't want to lose the Trump coalition and the performance that he had in the rules if he's somehow not not the candidate. But we also can't lose sight of the fact that there's a whole lot of other voters who turn up in every single election and they live in the suburbs. We used to win them and now we're losing yeah. them. Win I mean, that's, that's win them by 15 that, points. That's just a fact. I yeah. mean, it's it's a it's these are just numbers. If you're offended by what I said, it's just numbers. Go click on the map yourself. Look at the, the breakout between the Senate race in Pennsylvania and the governor's race. Yeah. No, I think that's true. I think the larger question before we transition to a different topic for Smug is, like, is this Trump himself? Like, we know, based on what uh, Duncan just said, it's not transferable. Uh, does Trump have a, this grip on turnout that the Republican Party does not have that, you know, somehow Republicans writ large are, are resigned to their fate in the suburban place and need Trump and Trump alone in order to win elections. I don't. So there was a good piece of data in this article um, that the Hill put out where they said that uh, there was an analysis of, of why Republicans won the House, saying that the analysis found that 71% of voters who backed Trump participated in the midterm election compared to 67% of voters who supported Biden. I don't think that's a situation of like, okay, 
this is because of Trump that they showed up. I think that whenever you have a party who feels like those in power are doing an awful job, that's going to lead to a surge. And yeah. I would say that is absolutely the case. I mean, like we just saw ourselves in Iowa. Uh, people are pretty pissed off over how bad things have gone under Joe Biden, and they are going to show up on Election Day to make sure that they're heard. I think it doesn't matter who is on the ticket at this point. Republicans have seen how terrible conditions have gotten in this country, and they're going to show up. Yeah, and I do think that there's an awful lot that resides in that coalition in between your center left and center right mm -hmm. that ultimately makes the difference between winning and losing. So we'll have to see. Um, want some animal news? Always. We talked last week about how Hank had been transported to Colorado. Yeah. <laughs> Guess right. where they have a bear problem. Wait, you're kidding. No. This is according to Sack B. Bear bursts into home, injures 82-year-old woman inside, Colorado officials say. Uh, a young bear burst into a Colorado home and injured an 82-year-old woman, Colorado officials said. The encounter took place shortly after midnight for after midnight jesus how about being awoken to that Ooh. uh on august 11 a community near uh, trinidad state parks the wildlife official said in a news release the woman who was awakened by a crashing sound and her dog growling discovered a cinnamon colored black bear weighing about 100 pounds so it was a tiny little sucker mm -hmm. yeah and, and we, what we know about black bears is that they are not a they're dangerous not as dangerous as a brown bear so for a black bear to be breaking into some woman's house in the middle of the night i mean that's they that's must another have got, level. they must be under they have some orders. marching orders they have some marching orders this, i mean this is wild it says here uh it, it, they said that okay it's a hundred pound bear uh but it leaped at her like the yeah. first response like this is clearly this is a hit it was a cub or a yearling <laughs> and they said and the woman had to push the bear off her and close the door suffering scratches to her legs the bear uh, scrambled frantically around the room, then climbed onto some shelves and escaped by smashing through a screen window. <laughs> I like that he was like, well, the hit didn't go well. Is I'm there anything I can smash and grab on the way out? I'm, like, I'm rifles through her shit, and he's like, all right, I'm out. <laughs> this is just proof you, you can't appease the animal menace. As Ashbrook has said over and over on the show, Hank comes there, and now suddenly a huge bear problem. Also, what did the dog do other than growl? Like, come on, worthless dog. Let's go, dog. Like, he should have done, like, you know, intercept the was, jumping bear. Maybe he was in on it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, what a cowardly dog. <laughs> they paid yeah. off Hank. The Benedict off the Arnold dog. of dogs. If I, had, <laughs> if I had to guess, can I make another guess? This yeah. is probably going to make a lot of people mad, too. Here we go. <laughs> yes. yeah. Yeah. It yeah. says this is an 82-year-old woman. I can tell you what the dog was. It was one of those hideous little 10-pound, those, like, white fur dogs that their eyes are always dirty. You know, their mouths are always dirty because the, the old person caring for them can't care for themselves, let alone for a dog. And it weighs about seven pounds, and all it does is bark at everything and look oh, hideous. so mean. It's got matted hair. just barks at shit. You know, right? <laughs> Canine companionship is, is great for older Americans. It's like a little Scotty. Yeah, Isn't they, that what it, they are? I don't think it's not Scottish Terrier. It's like an unknown <laughs> blend of horrible attributes with dirty eyes. Right? It's just yeah, they have like you know they don't clean the thing. It's a filthy animal. It looks like shit. Good for nothing, as we see right here. I guarantee it was one of those shitty dogs. Well, it happens to be the second bear attack in the Trinidad area in two weeks, uh, but officials do not believe that the incidents are related. Uh -huh. Okay, oh. it looks like Keystone cops are on it. Like, so, can we go back to like Governor Paulus telling everyone that he welcomed Hank to Colorado? Yeah, 
And then like, he rolled he rolled out the welcome mat for a terrorist. This is like, what in, happened in this home. We do not believe bears are illegal. Well, <laughs> here you go. Jeez. <laughs> My God. What we need is a bear Gitmo. <laughs> I yeah. mean, kill him, kill him. <laughs> they don't have rights. You would rent. <laughs> you would render the bear. Yeah, I mean, like they don't have. You know, don't let them get to the point where these guys are showing up with lawyers on an island. You know, like. Pop them. Done I feel deal. like if Dick Cheney was in charge of the menace, that we would have a solution. It, 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 like when they were talking about, like we're, we got to move Hank and all this other nonsense. It's like just put the gun to its head. <laughs> like really. Like the problems disappear super quick when you kill the animal. I don't know why people don't understand this. <laughs> Somebody ought to talk to Netanyahu about how you would handle the bears. Because <laughs> yeah. this is outrageous. This is now we're getting to a point where it's just taking over everything. Yeah. Everywhere. Unreal. Oh man. Um, all right. So. We're got to get to this interview. I think that maybe the last thing we'll do. Did you see this group of shoplifters? I feel like every day I get this shoplifting thing. Yeah. And you see what, what's happening. This one's particularly noteworthy. According to NBC News, a group of 50 people shoplifted $100,000 worth of luxury items from an L.A. mall using bear spray against the guards. Uh, I watched the video of this. And... It's unbelievable that we're putting up with this shit. Mm -hmm. If you lived in a community where this stuff was happening on the regular, like, wouldn't you just get the fuck out of the community? Mm -hmm. Just move. I mean, there's only so much of the population want, that I, can go in and, and afford goods and services like this. No, I hope the people don't move. I hope the people don't move. Because, like, this, it says from an L.A. mall, right? Yeah. So I don't want this person to move to a red state that they're like, well, this place is safe. Time to vote for the crazy shit that got me to where things were in L.A. You know, stay there. This is what you get. I hope it gets worse. They like, I hope it gets worse. Don't let them into a red state. They like bum rushed it to a point where there was like, you know, 50 people or whatever. They just went and grabbed, like smash and grabbed all the stuff and were just dragging tables and stuff out. I mean, the, the pattern here is so clear. It's, you know, the Democrat Party essentially is trying to legalize crime. Kamala herself gave to a bail fund that let out people who went on to commit rapes and murders. Uh, and this is all a factor of, of you see this left-wing dark money billionaires funding DAs who yep. essentially legalize crime, right? They'll show up and they'll be like, well, you know, if it's if it's larceny and no one was murdered, uh, I'm not going to try the case. And, and, and L.A. had a mayor's election not too long back where one person was running on a law and order platform Karen Bass, former congresswoman, was basically running as a status quo. They voted for Karen Bass. Bingo. So that's, I hope these people don't leave. Don't leave. If, if, you know, if you're listening and you're in a high crime area and you voted for Dems, please don't leave. Just don't start, go to Red State. Just start sawing California off at the Nevada border. That's like the only answer to this. <laughs> yeah, it's leave just, the bear spray for the people in Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's get to our interview with former Vice President Mike Pence. This episode is fueled by the American Petroleum Institute. No matter your politics, no matter the debate, one thing is certain. America runs on affordable, reliable energy. America's policies must recognize that Americans benefit from making, moving, and improving the energy right here in America. Today, America's oil and natural gas industry supports nearly 11 million jobs and provides American energy to keep this nation strong. Learn how at API.org. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> Gentlemen! Oh, look who we have here! <laughs> Mr. Vice President, how are you, sir? Good to see you, man. Always good to see you. Great to be back. And I come bearing gifts. Uh oh. Uh, oh, no. <laughs> what do we have? Oh, duels! <laughs> Well, I told you Friday night is uh, pizza and O'Doul's in my yeah. house. So I know you got to wait till you're off the air. Yeah, that's no, exactly yeah. right. To open these. You can't, I, yeah. We don't want this interview to go off the rail. Uh, no, no we get, you we, want to keep it real safe. It would be far too. Is that all right? Huh? That is incredible. Huh? Yeah, it's an ice cold O'Doul's. Do you think it's too. okay to open one? Huh? I think it's, I think it's okay. <laughs> it doesn't really open container. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have one. Thank you for that. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Oh, man. So you're just having a blast here at the fair? You know, we are. This is a home court advantage for me. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. it feels like your home kind of the Midwest. This is your territory. Look, I grew up with a cornfield in my backyard. And, um, you know, going to the 4-H fair in my home county was the high point of the summer. And uh, But I have to tell you, my first time coming to the Iowa State Fair was in 2016. Oh, yeah? And... Uh, I got to see the butter cow. <laughs> I walked around with then Governor Terry Branstad, uh, so nobody even knew I was there because he's a rock star here. But I got to tell you, this is really the best of America. Just it really out. is, isn't it? I mean, Celebrating just agriculture, people. but uh, food, fellowship, and people have been, uh, almost everybody's been incredibly welcoming. <laughs> yeah, there's a little bit of politics going on, Oh, that's right? all right. You may have seen a few competitors walking around here, yeah, too. Yeah, I may have. I may have. They might have, too. You got, yeah, exactly. You, I mean, you give a little, uh, like a little trip on the back of the shoe when you see somebody walking by. <laughs> no. no. no I'm, I'll be honest with you. I got a lot of respect for anybody that steps up. Yeah. For the highest office in the lab. And yeah. the men and women in this field, I'm... Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing them in Milwaukee. Yeah, that's right. As we yeah. are, yeah. as we are too. So I got to ask you. First yeah, of all, go. the last time you were on our show, people were like, "Man, I can't believe Mike Pence is actually that funny." And like for those of you who've no, for those of well, us who well compared to you guys, <laughs> that's a pretty low bar. <laughs> Fair enough. So, but for those of us who've known you for a while, we know you have a great sense of humor. And then I saw when you sent out a tweet, uh, I guess last week, yeah. about uh, wondering whether or not Donald Trump had the courage to show up to the debate. I was like, there it is. Yeah. yeah. There's the there is the the humor. Well, I tell you, I mean, look, we. It's one of the great things about a campaign for president in a place like Iowa, to no, no less extent in uh, New Hampshire, is uh, people get to know you. Yeah. And uh, you know, Karen and I were we were literally on a Saturday morning last week in a barn. Uh, in New Hampshire, and uh, the opportunity for them to get to know us, who we really are. Look, I, I take the job seriously, but I try not to take myself in the job too seriously. Yeah. And uh, I hope that's coming through. Well, I, really I think do. it. I think it is because I think you also said last week that you're you're well known, but not people don't know yeah. you well. Yeah. And, and I it, that is, that actually rang true with me, somebody Thank who's you. been around you for ten years, yeah. who who knows you well, but people know sort of. The college of the vice president, Mike yeah. Pence. Now they're getting a chance to see Mike Pence. Yeah, I got to tell you, my favorite retweet though is I saw some. It was some article. It was a satire that said uh, Pence runs screaming from a rally when only one woman showed up. <laughs> <laughs> and I had to, I, I, I had to retweet it and say, okay, that one made me laugh. <laughs> Right? Yeah, I mean, come on. You got to have a sense of humor about this kind of thing, right? Well, you do. I mean, it, look, it's a real serious time in the country, but uh, 
you know, I think the chance for people to get to know us, yeah, uh, get to know that, uh, you know, we lo we love this country. And frankly, I was I was uh, on the on the seacoast in New Hampshire not long ago. We had a little we had a little uh, luncheon, you know, and uh, had some lobster. It was really great. About ten or fifteen people, and at the end of it, a guy walked up to me when we walked outside, and he said, uh, he said. Uh, is this work for you? Because it seems like you're having a pretty good time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> I said, this didn't work for me at all. I said, look, I, I love people. I love the American people. And uh, uh, I don't like politics every day. Yeah. But a uh, chance to be out among the American people. Well, always I, encouraging. Listen, so the last time we spoke, you assured our audience yeah. that you were going to meet the thresholds and you were going to get to the debate stage. Yeah. And within 10, 15 days, you were there. You're going to be on that debate stage. Because I was on Ruthless. <laughs> Come on. A man of your word. You guys put me over the top. We will take that, by the way. You, that, that will that. Yeah. Hey, Wolf, make sure you make that an ad. That's good. That's good. Uh, but in all seriousness, so you got it done. I got to imagine everything you've been through here over the last couple of years, you are really looking forward oh. to getting on that stage. Oh, come on. Put me in, coach. Yeah. You know, I'm ready to go. Look, look, I'm really glad, uh, you know, we had an outpouring of support. But it's about nine weeks that we were able to yeah. garner yeah. some 40,000 contributors. In fact, we think there's a possibility we're going we're gonna to qualify for the second debate uh, before we get to the first debate. Uh, so oh, wow. we'll, uh, the, the support continues to roll in. We're not, uh, we're not offering kickbacks, uh, gift cards, <laughs> even soccer tickets. I mean, we're, we're just asking people for support. And, I, you know, I think the thing that we've heard over and over again, I've heard it here at the Iowa State Fair, is people saying, look, we, we see you as the most consistent conservative in the field with a long record of commitment to the conservative agenda. And they, a lot of people just were supporting us, saying, "We need you on that stage," yeah. and they want to hear that. They want to yeah. hear that perspective. But people keep asking me how I'm preparing for it. Yeah, well, I mean, that was exactly the question I was going to have. Yeah, is, I knew because I saw your note. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we've we, in just a day since we've been here, we've probably run into you like three, four times. So yeah. you're definitely putting in the footwork, talking Thank to you. a lot of folks. Thank but you. but when you're talking to the people in Iowa. What's the top concern you feel like? What's what's their top top of their minds? Well, here you know a lot of people stop me and talk about agriculture. I mean, the, the truth is, the uh, Biden administration has literally dropped the ball on expanding American exports. I mean, we we did that U.S. Mexico Canada yeah. agreement, yeah. which was a huge win for American agriculture. But we got tough with China, uh, you know. It, it, but we brought them to the table and got what was called a phase one trade deal. But Biden's dropped the ball on that, and China hasn't lived up to a fraction of what they committed to in January 2020. So, you know, there's a lot of concern about the farm bill. Josh, it's moving through the Congress right now. And, and I just said, look, if I'm, if I'm president of the United States, it's going to be free trade with free nations. I'm going to lean into free trade agreements uh, with the U.K., with Japan, even with the E.U. And agriculture depends on, you know, what we grow here. We sell all over the world. So I hear that a lot. But bottom line is I just hear people are struggling in the economy and uh, all this happy talk about Bidenomics that you hear coming yeah. out of the White House nobody's buying it I, I yeah. think it's like what Groucho Marx used to say who are you going to believe, me or your lion eyes? Right? Yeah. That's exactly right. I'd, I'd like to get back to how you're preparing for the debate. And, yeah. and we at the Ruthless Variety program think about politics in sports terms. One of our favorite movies is Hoosiers. 
And so I'm thinking, like, well, you're walking into this. my favorite moment. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, literally buttering you up. So, so Can you're, I tell you one thing about Hoosiers, though? Yeah. Please. True story. I just put this in a little book that I wrote with my daughter. Karen and I had just gotten married. And they were advertising on the radio that they were making some movie at Hinkle Fieldhouse. <laughs> and if yeah. you just put on old-fashioned yeah. clothes, yeah. you could go watch them shoot the movie. And we said, what movie are they going to make at Hinkle Fieldhouse? No, you didn't go. No, you didn't go? We didn't go. <laughs> it's like my favorite movie of all time. You could have been in it. And we lived like five blocks from Hinkle. Oh, so it was one of the, I actually end the chapter of the book saying, okay, next time go to the shoot. <laughs> but anyway, Hoosiers, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, it's one of, it's one of our favorite movies, too. Oh, and God. if you're thinking about this debate as if yeah. you're up against South Bend Central, what are, you, what are you doing beforehand? Are you sending Mark Short in to measure the hoop just to make <laughs> Make sure that it, make sure it, it's exactly the to measurement. What 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 sorts of things are you doing to get ready for the 23rd? You know, we're doing a little prep. I've had a little bit of experience with nationally televised debates. Of course. Yeah, it uh, yeah. As it turns out. Yeah, and let me be clear. You know that that second that debate with Kamala Harris. You know they had a plexiglass wall, but <laughs> I'm know, surprised it, you survived that, Mr. It, Vice it President. Wasn't, that was it, it wasn't was... tall enough to stop a fly. Uh, <laughs> but look, I, I do think you prepare for these things. I think. Uh, you know, uh, you know, studying uh, the record of the people around you, you know, taking time to make sure we understand the latest stumblings of the Biden administration, their failed policies. But for me, you know, I, I feel like I've been preparing for Milwaukee my entire life. You know, from the time I joined the Reagan revolution as a young man to my first few attempts at Congress, to being elected to Congress, being a conservative leader in the House, driving, uh, driving, uh, a Republican president a little crazy because I fought against the big spenders <laughs> in my own party. It was a tough deal to deal with. And then going home to going home to Indiana, balancing budgets, cutting taxes, and then being a vice president. So, you know what I what I always try and remember in those moments uh, is that uh, while I think it's important when you're on stage with uh, a number of other talented people that you're holding them accountable for their positions, that you're drawing the contrast. I never forget that we're actually talking to the American people, and my hope is that they'll hear our vision, they'll hear our passion, uh, and uh, and that's who I'm going to be talking to while I'm talking about these other people. Yeah. So, so Mr. Vice President, yeah, you know, you're talking about accountability. Someday you guys will call me Mike. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so. <laughs> we could be best friends. I could have a sleepover in your guest room, and I think I'd still call you Mr. Vice President. You actually can't do it. You can't do it. You're hardwired. I get it. I respect that. But, you know, speaking about accountability, yeah. um, you know, I, I, as an observer of this primary, I think I've noticed, like, a lot of the candidates have been as these indictments have come out on, on, on former President Trump, uh, a lot of equivocating and qualifying statements. Um, and I think in the last indictment on, on the you know January 6th and post-election stuff, you spoke very plainly about the president being advised by crackpot lawyers, right. which I just love because I felt like it cut through a lot of the noise. Do you feel like an, there aren't enough people in this primary that are willing to speak like simple honest truths wow. well pe people can be confident I'm going to continue to speak boldly yeah you know, I had no right to overturn the election and the fact that uh, the former president and many of those same allies and their allies in the media continue to uh, tell many good decent Americans that I had that right it's something we're going to take on very directly because look I if people in this country love our Constitution 
And I think, uh, I think when they hear the story of what the Constitution requires, what my duty was that day, and if they think twice about it, they're going to realize there's almost no idea more un-American than the notion that any one person could decide what electoral college votes to count. The presidency belongs to the American people and the American people alone. And uh, we're going to speak boldly and plainly about that. Uh, but also, I, I want to be, be clear, it is, you know, elections are about the future. And uh, the differences I have with my former running mate go far beyond that day. And uh, I mean, in many ways, uh, you know, we, he made a promise to the American people, and I think adding me to the ticket may have been part of that, that he was going to govern as a conservative. And we did. I'm incredibly proud of the record and what our partners in the House and in the Senate made possible in those first two years. Now I hear no such promise. I hear, I hear uh, you know, backing away from American leadership in the world, unwilling to talk about confronting the national debt with reform, backing away from a commitment to the right to life. So I honestly believe those are the kind of choices in contrast. So people know that while, uh, while we continue to have very strong difference on this issue of that tragic day, and I'll make my case to the American people, uh, there's also differences about where we want to take the party and ultimately take the country. So give us a couple of examples <clears throat> in terms of what you've heard out of not only the former president, but Ron DeSantis and others about, uh, you know, failing to observe some of the things that you think need to be addressed right. and where you would take things in contrast. Well, I, look, we, uh, we're living in a very dangerous time in the world today. I mean, because of the disastrous withdrawal from Afghanistan, because of President Biden's relentless effort to cut military spending. And, that, you know, there's a lot of talk about that. Frankly, I think, I, I think it was Republicans in the Congress that staved that off and held the line. But frankly, we're, we're poised right now for another 1% cut. And what they've added hasn't even kept up with inflation. At a time when China's floating balloons over strategic parts of the United States, uh, they just sent a Russia-China armada across the coast of Alaska. They're buzzing our aircraft in the South China Sea. They're cutting off our ships in the Asia Pacific. And uh, now more than ever, we, we need to make it clear that we are going to be the leader of the free world. We're going to be the arsenal of democracy. And one of the reasons why when we came in in 2016, I said that our job was to rebuild the military. I, I actually think our challenge today is to build a military fitted to the challenges of the 21st century. We're still the most powerful military in the world. But the trajectory that China is on today could change that, and it could make the world much more dangerous as a result. So I, I think we build up that military. We continue to stand with our allies, stand up to our enemies. Uh, I think the world becomes a much more quiet place when we have a Republican in the White House who knows that. Yeah. Uh, well, last serious question before we get into something that's less serious. Um, how much of your strategy is about because every, look, every election at some point comes down to whether or not they think a candidate can do the job. And people can make their own judgments about different candidates and whether or not they can. Obviously, given the job that you did as vice president, but not only that, as a governor and as a member of leadership in the United States House of Representatives, you can clear that hurdle by anybody's bar. Thank how, you, how much of that goes into what you're trying to communicate to people? Well, we want the American people to know we're ready day one. There it is. Yeah. Yeah. That because of the experience I had as a vice president, representing our country at home and around the world, on Capitol Hill when we moved that pro-growth agenda, 
because I was a governor that understands the vital role that states play in the life of our nation, and because I was a rabble-rousing House conservative <laughs> fighting against runaway spending for 12 years. That, that You're I, a tough out, by look, the way. I know. You're a tough deal, I actually man. was. <laughs> look, I know how Congress works. I know how it doesn't work. You know, I don't know everybody in the House Republican majority, but everybody I know is a committee chairman, yeah. okay? Uh, I, I know the role of states, and I want the American people to know that I'm, I'm going to be ready day one to know what to do, and just as important, know who to do it with yeah. to get this country turned around. You know, an administration is not one person. It's the team that you build around you. And, and I think conveying to people that I know we would be able to assemble a team of principled, experienced conservatives that would do everything from restoring confidence in equal treatment under the law at the Justice Department, to driving the political correctness out of the Pentagon, Smug would be good at that. Smug, Smug, that might be a good role for Smug. Is that him? The I political mean, correctness taking. piece. We'll do it. We'll I turn think, you I loose. I think that might be good. We'll right. turn you loose. <laughs> so, last thing. Yeah. Last time we saw you today, you were coming out of the back end of the pork uh, tent here, and you've been cooking for hours. I, well, I was, yeah. I mean, it, like, you were really working hard. No, I was. <laughs> no, they wanted it just to be a photo op, and I, I like to grill. <laughs> They said. They literally said to me. They said. They said that's good. You're fine. I said. These are not done. I'm a guy. I can't look. Leave uncooked meat on the grill. It's literally what he did. He came out and he's like, I spent a lot of time in there. You can be confident of the product. Yeah. I'll tell you, it's great though. Really, it's uh, these. You know, honestly. Food is such a great, great part of the state fair. Yes. And uh, I've already had a lemon shake-up. I haven't got my corn dog yet, but I will. That's the table minimum. We, we do have one more, yeah. very quick. Yeah. Because last time you got out of our studio without getting the fourth question, which is yeah. thinking about the entire animal kingdom. And on the Ruthless Variety program, we consider ourselves something of an animal fighting podcast. So think of the entire, the entire animal kingdom. Yeah. Mano y mano. Yes. What is the biggest animal you could take? The biggest animal? Bare hands. Bare hands. <laughs> I can take the 800-pound gorilla. Yeah! <laughs> That's good. I love it. Vice President Mike Pence, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate your time. Thanks, Thanks for the Iowa State Fair and everything else. Thanks for being here. Congratulations on all your success. Thank you very thank you so much. much. Good. Thank you. This episode is fueled by the American Petroleum Institute. No matter your politics, no matter the debate, one thing is certain. America runs on affordable, reliable energy. America's policies must recognize that Americans benefit from making, moving, and improving the energy right here in America. Today, America's oil and natural gas industry supports nearly 11 million jobs and provides American energy to keep this nation strong. Learn how at API.org. What a backdrop, what yeah. an interview, and what a question by our own Michael Duncan. He did. He, he was a good question. The crackpot lawyers. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's one of my favorite things, because I think it's just obvious, dude. I mean, even if you support Donald Trump and you think the, the indictment on the Jan 6 stuff is bullshit, and I think it's going to be an incredibly hard case to prove, I think, you know, making political speech illegal is probably a bad thing for us to do in this country. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it doesn't change the fact that he was listening to a bunch of dipshits like Rudy Giuliani with hair dye running down his face. Yeah. And so I just love that Pence 
said the obvious thing because I feel like this primary is a lot of hand wringing and qualifying statements and saying, oh boy, well, you know, I think it's, you know, Donald Trump did such great things for this country, which he obviously did. But then like when you couch it that way, you've already lost the argument. Yeah. You know, you've already lost the argument. You know, if you think he had bad lawyers, say he had bad lawyers. Yeah. Let's, you know, cut the shit. And I can't wait for this debate because I hope people start doing that. Well, what's very clear to me, and it's not just Pence, but it's most obvious in Pence, is that people sort of set aside the arguments that they've had over the last three months and they've taken out some sharper knives. Yeah. And it may not be covered yet. You know, you may not be seeing this stuff because it's not fun for the mainstream media to be like, no, there's pointed critiques going on right now. There was tons of them in our show and none of it was picked up, despite the fact that every reporter in the English speaking world had access to it. Uh, they didn't use it because it didn't it didn't supplement the well, everybody's just falling in line type yeah. discussion. But I think Mike Pence showed even a big difference between this interview and the interview that we did with him three weeks ago. Didn't you guys think? I think so. Mm -hmm. I think there was a huge difference, and we'll see if that keeps going that way. I guess we'll find out on the 23rd when we're going to be in Milwaukee doing our debate live. I mean, that's going to be huge. Yeah. Huge. I got to say, very, very funny move to bring the O'Douls, yeah. Oh, yeah. which was quite refreshing, I might add. That was the first O'Douls I've ever had in my entire life. I opened it up, and it was delicious. It might have had something to do with the fact that it was like 90 degrees, and we were walking miles and miles. <laughs> I, I, I was, yeah. Iced O'Douls. I was so grateful that there was really ice in there. I was like, it's it's been like a hundred degrees walking this drag all day. I but just, after I we just... after we did the whole uh, the whole thing in the street, we forgot the O'Douls. <laughs> well, yeah, so whoever had whoever believe. had to clean that up, I'm I'm really sorry. We are we apologize. To but the I, you people. know, it was glass. I don't even know if we could walk around with glass. You I, know, know. I guess had... when you're the former vice president, you can do whatever the hell you want. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, fellas. They think we did it. I think so. Absolute banger of an episode if i may say so myself again thank you so much to our listeners subscribe on youtube if you have not yet so until next time minions keep the faith hold the line and own the libs we'll see you on thursday stay ruthless